Hi, everyone, and welcome to SACSA's To Practice, a practitioner skill building process for the, field, for the field from two folks who don't know it all, but have and will continue to think a lot about it. Hello, everyone. My name is Miles Ferret. I am an Associate Vice President at James Madison University here in the Shenandoah Valley of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I'm Kate Radford. I serve as the Director for Leadership Education and Development in the Center for Student Leadership and Engagement at Clemson University in the beautiful state of South Carolina. So um, just to catch up a bit in case you've missed um, at this point, two seasons, because this is a final episode of our second season of the podcast. Um, but for some context, Miles and I used to work together. Um, we worked in an office that was about half graduate students and reflected a lot on some of the practical skills that are graduate assistants and us, us as professionals, all of us need to thrive in the field of student affairs. So this podcast is really born of that realization that we um, bore a great deal of responsibility for preparing our graduate students um, and that there was definitely conversations to be had, reflection to be done, um, and growth that we all need to hone our skills as practitioners. So this gives us a chance to sit down and continue to stay in conversation with one another now that we're at different institutions and to think about those skills and how we develop them as professionals. So this season, you're catching us at, again, the very end of season two, um, and we are wrapping up our arc here on institutional politics. Institutional politics. Well, before we get into that, Kate, I am excited to ask you some pop culture true or false questions. Um, and we all get to get a sense of where Kate is in terms of her pop culture knowledge here. Um, what a joy for everyone listening. She's been on sort of a hot streak recently. So we'll see if that continues today. I actually decided I would be really nice and sort of work towards your base here, Kate. So Kate, when she was yeah. in college, studied abroad in Australia. So I thought we would do a, a segment here that I'm calling Australian or not. Nah. So oh, I love this. I'm going to pose the names of four different um, actors. Uh-huh. And you just need to tell me if they're Australian or not. Okay. Are you like ready? This. Yeah. Yeah, I do. This, I'm okay. ready. I'm you ready. Like you have like a good working understanding of who's Australian or not? Um, maybe not that, but I, I just had this very funny thought about like, what if I had like really started studying for these, like, and Ooh. just didn't tell you, but like, how could I have prepared? I couldn't have studied. I would have never guessed you would pick Australian people as the like topic, you know? So, yeah. but I did have a funny thought about like just picturing myself cramming by like reading, you know, I don't know, entertainment news yeah. things, mm -hmm. those things that people find out entertainment information through. I don't know why I ever thought about giving you the name of like a publication that you could have read. That was so much better. Um, all right. Are you ready for your first, uh, your first actor? I'm ready. Yeah. All right. Carrie Mulligan, Australian or not? Okay. First no. off, do you know who Carrie Mulligan is? Okay, no. no, you don't. Okay. Right. Oh no. This is not going to go well. Carrie Mulligan, Carrie Mulligan. I literally have no idea who this person is. I don't even like, I can't even like put a, yeah, no concept of this person at all. Um, but I'm going to say true. Carrie Mulligan, whoever Carrie Mulligan is, is Australian. 
Carrie Mulligan is, in fact, not Australian. She is British. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, uh, for those of you who don't know, mainly Kate, uh, is a British actress who was nominated for an Academy Award last year for her role in Promising Young Woman, which is one of the most affecting and powerful movies I've seen in my life. And she perhaps gave one of the best, I mean, maybe the best acting performance I've ever seen in that movie. She is unbelievable. She's great in many other things. Drive. Uh, she plays Daisy in the most recent, the um, Baz Luhrmann uh, Gatsby movie with uh, Tobey Maguire and Leo DiCaprio. Um she was once in a sort of cult classic movie called Never Let You Go about, well, I won't say what it's about in case anybody, I don't want to give any spoilers for a book that came out in 2007. Um, so anyway, yeah, Carrie Mulligan, she's she's great. She's married to Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons. I don't know if you know that band. I do know that band. Yeah. 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 yeah, they were childhood pen pals. They went to summer camp together when they were like adolescents. And now they've been married for many years. Okay, well, that's kind of cute, but... Mm-hmm. I need you to know that I literally everything you said in describing Carrie mm-hmm. Mulligan, I no reference for at all. Not seen any of those movies. I mean, I know who Toby Maguire and Leo DiCaprio are. That's basically the only words that came out of your mouth that I had concept of. So, oh yeah, you're not familiar with Great Gatsby. That's something you're. Not I mean, familiar. yes, but not the the film, whatever. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All Main right. takeaway: Kate doesn't know what Great Gatsby is. That's okay. That's not the take. Everyone, listen clearly. Well, listen. I'll be posting the episode description. So, um, <laughs> anywho, okay. um, yeah. Watch Promising Young Woman. Okay. No joke. Seriously. All right. I'll do it. I'll put it on my list. Yeah. Whatever. Wherever that imaginary list is, it's like your list of watching things is like other people's like file 13 or whatever they call the trash can uh anyway all right next one okay we're going to circle back to a previous person that we've talked about before but i don't believe we spoke about his nationality Mm -hmm. how about tom holland tom holland i think he's awesome do you remember us talking about tom holland I do because I mixed him up with, um, no, no, no. Yeah, I do. But I'm now I'm mixing him up again with the other Tom person that I was confused about. Holland. So just, just to, just to clarify, you still don't know who Tom Holland is, even though we've talked about this. He's before. the one that's dating Zendaya. There you go. That okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But okay. what, what is he famous for? Ba- uh, not Batman, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. There you go. Okay. Very okay. good. Okay, that's good. great. Yeah, I learned some things. Yeah, um, we're learning. Um, we're all growing. Do I think he is? No, I don't think he's Australian. I think m- maybe he's also British. Mm, okay, one of two. He is British. Yes. Very good. Right, this is good. This is good. All right, great. Are you ready for number three? Yeah. Okay. Idris Elba, Australian or not? Nah? Real quick, do you know who Idris Elba is? Let's start there. Uh, yes, I know who Idris Elba is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think most, well, I'm not going to go there, but yes, yes, I do know who Idris Elba is. Um, uh-huh. Idris Elba is not Australian. So you're saying nah? Nah, I'm saying nah. Okay. Where do you think he's from? Also British? 
Also British, Idris Elba. Actually, right. yeah, very good. Okay, great. All right, I'm are you ready for the last one? Yeah. Okay. Margot Robbie, Australian or not? Yes, Margot Robbie is Australian. Kate, you did so much better on this than I thought <gasps> you would do. Three out of four. Uh-huh. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. It's going to be tricky with them. I thought you wouldn't know who these people were and you would just be guessing since they were all British that you would guess that Margaret Robbie was actually British too. Wow. Very good. I'm impressed. Thank you. Thank you. How about wow. that? I'm, I just, you know, I hope that our listeners learn a lot about our topic areas um, from our podcasts, but I learned a lot this season about pop culture so i'm just saying real learning growth development has occurred here well that's wonderful i i believe that you can grow into someone knowledgeable about pop culture believer in that for you so i'm also going to watch that movie that you mentioned that i've already forgotten the name on so i'll have to circle back about that but it's gonna happen yeah that list that was a real learning moment for me is realizing how bogus your list is so yeah I do have a list um, because as you may recall, I got Netflix pretty late in, you know, I was not an early adopter. Let's just say that. Um, (laughs) And uh, it was not that, that long ago that I got Netflix. And so I remember asking everybody, you were still working here. So it's been a little bit, but I asked everyone for their list of recommendations and I do still have that on my phone. And I trying to find the note literally as we're speaking, I don't, it's somewhere in here in my many notes on my phone. I just, I don't think I've, I've picked up on much of these things that people recommended. I should really revisit that list. Oh yeah. I've got it right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can imagine you've watched none of that given that I'm looking at it. You're right. I have, I have not watched a single thing that's on it, but I, I might. So we'll work on that. Um, all right. Um, well, you know, moving on. Um, Thanks for all the listeners for uh, listening listening to me just really muddle through trying to understand pop culture. So I appreciate y'all. Um, so on our last episode, we talked a little bit about types of coalitions that come together on college campuses, how we build them, how to communicate around changes that might result from those coalitions. Um, So this time we're going to talk and again, end our our arc here, talking a little bit about how we distinguish sort of when to move on and when to put your proverbial proverbial foot down on um, some issues. Um, And then in those foot down situations, how to successfully navigate those situations. So Miles, here's the big one. How do you decide what's a hill to die on? Well, I mean, I think... I think, I I mean, I think people understand this conceptually, but they are scarce, you know, I mean, like, think of the phrase, you know, one can only die on so many hills if we're going to, you know, stretch that colloquialism to the breaking point. Um, And so, you know, I, I can't think of, and I'm, I'm sure there have been times in my career where there are things that could have progressed in a certain way. Like I remember in early COVID days, there was a conversation about doing in-person programming for folks that were in Q, Q&I housing. And that was one for me. Like I just was simply unwilling to ask folks to 
put themselves in that level of personal risk. And that ended up being a fairly easy thing to move on from it. And it ended up being, it, it seemed like mainly just a miscommunication. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, you know, as we understood it, I was like, well, this is, this is feeling like one of those, one of those things. Um, I think when you're deciding, I think as much as possible, make this decision with the benefit of time. I, understand sometimes there are crisis situations where that choice might come faster. Um, and I, I understand and respect that, but just generally speaking, I think that if you can have some time to reflect on things related to this issue, um, you know, I, I think that that, I think that that goes well, but I think the sort of questions that I have landed on in terms of how I would think about this is, does this compromise my values? And I think that is different than like my short-term goals. I'm talking about my actual values. Am I becoming by, you know, everybody justifies a lot of stuff by like, oh, well, you know, like even if the situation is messed up by being in the situation, I can continue to make it better. But does it actually make it where like I am now actively a part of a problem? Like, am I perpetuating harm in whatever way I do by being a part of this? Am I... Um, in some way, my participation is a continued endorsement of that particular issue. Mm-hmm. Um, is it illegal? Um, which I think is a fairly, you know, a fairly straightforward question. And I don't think we get asked, you know, I don't think folks get asked to do illegal things very often, but I think that's a, a pretty clear bar. Um, what harm does it cause? You know, like what harm are we actually doing um, by engaging in this um you know to go back to that to go back to that programming example you know like am i actually asking people to take a risk you know this was i I, this was before vaccines you know like um we you know we didn't know i had um you know i had alpha pre-vaccine and continue to think that i have some lung damage from that you know like I, i think that there are, we just didn't know what we could be doing to people in that particular situation. And that's why that is like a clear example to me. Um, and then what are the immediate ramifications of saying no? You know, like how, how does this, you know, how does this actually, how does this actually play out? Is it unpleasant? Are you actually losing your job? What does that actually, you know, what does that actually look like? If you do lose your job, how does that manifest? Um, I was just reading an article about American professional basketball players that have chosen to go play basketball in Russia right now. And there's a lot of really interesting sort of logic that, that is going into that process. But, uh, you know, a lot of it is like, this is, this is the fine, this is the opportunity that's available for me to continue my career. Um, Is continuing your career in that way. And I'm not really referencing the basketball situation. I don't know enough about the context of that, but like, as we're thinking about it within the context of higher education is continuing in your career this way worth continuing your career, you know, like, is it, or do you need to pivot into something else? Mm-hmm. Uh, because all of this, like, if you were saying that you were willing to die in this, you have to recognize here are the immediate ramifications and I have to be comfortable. I have to be comfortable with those things. So. Yeah. I um I recall that experience of the quarantine and isolation conversation. And I think um your assessment of that of like it ended up not being a big deal, like saying no to that, I think is accurate. And I, I think sometimes that that is 
true of these things that we anticipate are like, maybe we anticipate that they are hills we're going to have to die on, but oftentimes really what's needed in that moment is just like for someone to say like, whoa, no, like I'm, I'm just not going to go along with this. I'm going to like push back a little bit and ha- and, you know, I think in that situation, it was like, <laughs> we just needed someone to be like, whoa, hold on. This doesn't like add up. And then people like sort of were like, yeah, like, and clear heads sort of prevailed, I would say. Um, so I, I think maybe the point I'm making is that, um, like pushback or challenge, challenging things is not like the same necessarily as the hill you're going to die on. Right. Like you can, you can, um, I don't know how to extend that metaphor any further, but you can continue to push up the hills, like a lot of hills, right. It's not, but they're not all hills that you're going to die on. Um, and there's the difference between challenging, questioning a status quo, questioning a decision, pushing back against something that may not be the same as being a hill that you're going to die on. So thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. Kate, any, any ways that you've thought about hills that you have or would die on? (laughs) You know, I've thought about this question a lot and I, I don't know, I think to maybe the point that I just made, I don't know that there's been a hill that I've obviously that I've died on. Um, And I mean that in terms of like, I've been, you know, in my career at the same institution for a long time. I think often the ramifications that you talked about, the, the dying on the hill means probably leaving that place or moving on or finding something else um, or being asked to find something else. And that, that clearly has not happened for me. So maybe there hasn't been a hill that I've actually died on. Um, but I think maybe as I consider what would be hills I would die on or which ones I've been prepared to die on. I need this metaphor to end. I like sort of, you know, the uh, saying this over and over is making my heart hurt. Um, but I think for me, it's it's thinking about um, sort of patterns of behavior. So I think if sort of the idea of, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Um, I can think of, of situations where, um, maybe I wish I had died on a hill or wish I'd pushed harder on something and didn't. Um, and I think I'm then am now prepared for if that comes up again, or if that like occurs again, that I know that at that point, maybe it is the hill that I will be willing to die on because it's the thing that like, I sort of rationalized or, um, sort of came, uh, I don't know, came to it a place where it was, I was like able to sort of work through it, but that I might not be able to again, based on what I saw sort of transpire from that. So um, I think that's probably is a big piece for me is that like pattern of behavior, not like the the one-off thing. Um, and then, you know, I think really when we're talking about hills that we're willing to die on, I think what we're saying is that you are willing to push back to the point that you have like no regard for the cost that that will take for you um, and or take like the the outcome that could transpire from that for you. Um, and so I think for me, it's it's a lot of things that you mentioned of like thinking about what are the ramifications, not only for myself, but for um, maybe what I represent. Right. So like I might be willing to die on this hill because it means that like I'm willing to pay the cost of that. But what is like the um the ripple effect of that. So it means, right. That maybe I'm no longer in 
this position to be able to do the work that I do or to advocate for other things in the way that I want to advocate for them. Um, or it might mean um, that I'm removed. Maybe I'm not like physically removed from the campus or removed from my job, but maybe I'm removed from tables that I want to be seated at to be able to advocate for other things. So and I think sometimes that we can get a little bit um, like self-centered almost in our like, I'm, you know, I'm willing to die for this because I care about it so deeply. Um, but what I think we've got to think about the bigger picture and what does that mean for um, all the other things that, that may be wrapped up in in that for you? Yeah, so I guess, Kate, after deciding to die on that hill, so <laughs> you've identified this pattern of behavior, you've made this decision. Yeah. You're going to have to communicate and manage up. Um, it's not necessarily saying that like in every situation that you're like walking away, it could just be communicating the extent to which you feel strongly about this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some ways that you can successfully manage up? This is obviously a little different given the sort of extent to which you've identified being willing to go to in this situation. But sure. you know, like, what does the managing up process look like? It could be related to a hill to die on, or it could just be, you know, could be more general. Just a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I think in any situation when there is a challenge, a decision that's made that you disagree with, something that you, whether again, it's going to be the hill you die on or something just that you are going to um, really advocate and push for. Um, I think a couple of things need to happen. I think there's stuff that happens like in real time. Um, but I also think you've got to think about where um, sort of you're coming to this moment from. And so I, mean, I think a huge part of being able to push for things and to challenge maybe um, institutional politics, since that's like our broader topic here, um, is like is doing your job well day in and day out, like meeting expectations that people have of you. Um, you know, I think like you get a lot further when you are able to, to point back to sort of like a track record of success and like quality in your job that says like, one, I should be trusted because of that. And two, like I have, you know, I, I'm not coming at this like naively. I've been a part of like other things and have helped push um, challenge, like challenges forward or changes forward that needed to happen. So I think, you know, just like meeting expectations broadly, um, especially in that, like managing up sort of situation, thinking about like, if you're talking about, you know, having a conversation with your direct supervisor, um, you're going to get a lot further. I think if you, um, have, have done your job well to that point, right. You're more trusted. Um, I think the second thing is then like when you arrive to that moment is, um, kind of, doing your research and being cognizant of the larger expectations that are out there. So anticipate, you know, what is being expected of people above you at that point. Um, I think it's unfair to walk into a situation with like, I feel strongly about this and assume that either the other person doesn't feel strongly about it or that they haven't thought deeply about the issue um, or that they are not um, also like dealing with challenges. Like I think a lot of times the things that have sort of trickled down to my level, um, I have found, and it took many years of sort of like observing this, I have realized that a lot of times things don't even trickle to me until a certain point that there's a lot that I've already been shielded from. And so not even, um, I think in times where I have really pushed back, that could be frustrating for a supervisor who's like, who, if only you knew sort of all of the, like, 
progress we've already made to even get to this point and not, and I think if you come at it from a, like, you're not trying or you're not pushing or you're not advocating or you're not doing these things, um, it's really one-sided and it also is going to lead to a lot more frustration. So I think anticipating what's being expected, what maybe they have already um, done to um, advocate for a change. Um, And I think the last thing I would say is just being really clear about what matters to you and why they matter to you. Um, I, I think, you know, by its nature, hills we die on, they, they can't, there can't be a lot of them. Like there can only, and that's not to say again, that you can't advocate and push back on a broad number of issues, but, um, you know, I, I think you can't always, not every issue can be your issue, right? You can't push back on every single thing. Um, because I think then it sort of dilutes down when like you really feel strongly about something and want to, um, want to push back on it. So I think being clear about what those things are and why they matter to you. And I think creating a little sense of urgency where necessary. So I think sometimes people don't see the issue in the same way because it's not personally like impacting them at that moment, or they don't see like the way that you're seeing what the repercussions of something could be. Um, so I think creating that urgency, not fabricating urgency, not like, you know, creating chaos or creating panic. So I don't think that's ever helpful, um, but helping to create urgency and and pointing out the the long-term ramifications of what's maybe going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think getting to that, like understanding what matters to them, anticipate, you know, anticipate how folks are thinking through this. Um Something that I was I was taught, you know, some time ago is that like fundamentally people and, and I mean, I think we all get this, but I just think in these moments thinking about not thinking about necessarily like the needs of the person on the other side of this, but just thinking about like how the information is going to be received. People don't do well with threats. Um, and I think that there's a way to communicate that doesn't send a threatening message, but is also clear um about you know like how you know like where you know where you're you know where you're sitting with things um but what matters to folks is likely connected to whatever is interpreted interpreted as institutional needs whether it's saving money retaining students um saving time um something political in terms of the institution or or you know external to the institution um, or validating a direction that's been chosen by somebody above them that, you know, they're, they're carrying and they're doing their own form of managing up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think like, if we're talking about in terms of, of things that hills to die on, like, if you're for real about it, you got to be willing to walk away. I mean, that is like, that is like the way that this works. And so like, once you've landed on like, this is the message in terms of like how this can sit, it's generally better if you can do this in terms of like, I think this is best because of X, Y, and Z, not do this or I, or I'm walking. Um, Then that, I mean, that is a, that is a better way to communicate, but you can also say, Hey, this is like, really, this is a, this is a key issue for me. And I need you to, I need you to understand that. Um, And I don't know if, you know, I don't know if we continue down this path, if this is a project that I can continue to be a part of. And I'm not, I'm just telling you, like, this is important to me. I'm communicating why I'm communicating how I think this can be important and this can matter. But also just like, I need you to understand that, like, this is a fundamental thing for me. This is not like, 
around the edges of like what matters and what's important. So, yeah, I'm with you. And I think it's a harsh realization or maybe a harsh, harsh reality, I should say that, I mean, in a lot of cases, we are replaceable in our work, right? Like the, that threat, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I just don't think has, <laughs> has the impact we want it to, right? Like I, um, I deeply value all of the folks that I work with. Um, and I would hate to see any of them go over an issue like this. Um, but I think the reality is that often when we're like, people are making those decisions, um, are like, I'm going to walk on this doesn't maybe land the way that we think that it will or have the impact that we think it will. Um, because unfortunately I think there are times where the bigger picture sort of outweighs, even if you are deeply valued at a place deeply outweighs the, the need to keep you. Um, and that is something that I don't like and was not happy sort of to come to terms with, but is something that I think is, is very real. So well, and I think that we all have to recognize. So an interesting thing happened. I think this was like over a little bit over two years ago now at Clemson, where students in the Honors College started the process of advocating for the name of the Honors College to be changed. Yep. And um, a student that I uh, was very close with was literally the name on the petition that was like leading that was leading this um, this change. And um some of our colleagues were really frustrated because they didn't feel like they had clarity from our department or from student affairs about how they could support or not support this particular, this particular movement. And to me, I didn't have to handle that in a confrontational way, but I supported that student. I was in regular communication with that student. I signed that petition. Um, and I did all those things because to me, I didn't, I didn't need to flaunt that, but to me, that cause was worth it. They were trying to change the name of the honors college from being named after John C. Calhoun, who, you know, uh, has a abhorrent history in our country. And, um, to me, that was worth it. And I didn't ask for institutional cover because to me in that moment, that advocacy was important enough to take that risk. Yep. And I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to create like a, a public um, sort of uh, performance about that, but I supported that student and supporting that student was worth it to me. And the name of the Honors College did change and yep. they were successful in their advocacy and they should be incredibly proud of that. And I'm incredibly proud as a person to have been, you know, a very small tertiary part of that conversation. But to me, that was worth it. And sometimes when we want a department or an institution to be about something, I think there's a world in which we're looking for cover yep. to go out and, and do something. And to me, that's not that this is, I'm sure, a separate conversation, but that's not real advocacy. That yeah. is that is just that's just doing your job at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, understanding the context of that situation, it was worth the risk. And I didn't need or ask for institutional cover because it was worth it to me. Yep. So. No, I think that's a really great point. Um, yeah. And I, I think that we, you're exactly right. We're often, we're often looking for um, someone to draw the line for us and someone to 
sort of provide the parameters in which we can advocate or which we can push things. Um, and I think really at the core of a lot of what we're talking about here is like there's risk in this, there in in true advocacy and true, right? Like that again, not to belabor the point of the hill to die on, right? But like the notion there is that you will push till the greatest cost for you could be losing your job and you can't ask for institutional cover for that. Um, but I think that that can't be often, right? That level of risk that you're taking can also not be like a daily occurrence. Right? You can, unless you want to live your life like that, unless you want to live your life sort of on the edge of at any point in time, I could lose my job. Um, which I think for, you know, the reality is we, most of us need our jobs and need to uh, have the security of that. We, um, can't always be risking that, but um, that there are times to your point that the risk is worth it. Um, and we have to figure out what those things are for ourselves. So Miles, I think maybe this is a good place to end our arc, a great note to end our arc on politics here. Um, how do you really move forward if it's big and important, but it's not the hill to die on? Well, I think that there is a reality of human in interdependence in our work and there are things outside of our control. And so I think that like, and, and what I'm talking about is like how you actually move forward. I'm not talking about sort of, I know this has ended for me and I'm now pursuing an alternate job search. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, how do you continue in the work as you're currently doing it? Um, and I think that a big thing is to focus on the benefits of the situation you're in and why they're worth staying for. Um, it could be interpersonal. It could be, um, a degree program. It could be family, you know, it could be, there's lots of your life that you're happy with. You're frustrated about this situation. Um, but the benefits here continue to outweigh it and there's still work to be done. Um, that, you know, like staying in this work can continue to, you know, can continue to inform it if you've decided that this is big and important, but not the hill. Um, uh, a former, uh, co-host on this feed, Eric Aguiar, oftentimes talked about not letting people steal your sparkle. And I think that that's part of it too. You know, Tony Morrison regarding racism had, had like a, a, a similar kind of concept, which is if it keeps you from doing your work, it keeps you explaining over and over again, your reason for being talking about racism specifically. And, um, that, uh, that sort of concept is it's taking you away from what you want to be and what you want to be doing. Um, it's dulling your sparkle. So like continue to be yourself. I think the, like the boldest act of rebellion that somebody can engage in on a regular basis is to thrive in spite of everything that you're frustrated about and keep impacting students the way that you know is possible. To continue to do that work impactfully and to not focus on what you can't control and on, on situations that are outside of your control, that is, that is a form of resistance. Um, and so that, you know, that is, that is what I would recommend. That's how you can move forward is to, you know, continue to do that. And also recognize that like your participation in your employment is not inherently an endorsement of every decision that an institution makes. Uh, you know, a, a college is a compromise. 
And it's a compromise by a lot of stakeholders. And a lot of people, as we've discussed, have opinions and thoughts and, and, and a stake in a college. It's never going to be, you know, it's never going to be perfect. So like find the agency in yourself and in your work on a daily basis and don't look to a place to give that to you because it's going to, you know, like every institution is going to disappoint in a variety of ways because it's not. And listen, I understand my identities in saying this, but like an institution is not built for any one of us. It is built to be this, you know, sustained thing over many, many years. And um, it, it will it will it will fail us if we look to for our own value and agency in it. So thrive in in spite of that if you decide that you want that moving forward is what you want to do. I love that, Miles. I think that um I I often tell people when they interview at Clemson that um I think it's important that they know that this place is not perfect. And I don't think that's unique to Clemson. I don't think I think to your point, no, no place is perfect. Um, but you know, people always ask in interview settings, like what, you know, what brought you here? What makes you stay? And um, my response for that is consistent. And I think will be until I decide that I've found the hill to die on and I leave here. And my answer to that is like, as long as we are moving forward and our students are continuing to advocate for change and that we make, even if it's small progress, as long as I feel like we are putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward, I will stay here to like be in the work. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think your point about, um, that just because I remain at a place does not mean that I am, um, signing along the dotted line that I agree with everything that this place does, but that I believe I have a role here and an ability to, um, to push things forward. And as long as I continue to feel that for me, and again, that's a very personal thing, but for me, I will remain here. Um, the, the other thought, thought I had when you were talking, just as I think about sort of what I do in terms of, um, how do I move forward, um, on the big important things, even when they're not the hills to die on, um, or when I've decided they're not the hills to die on is I think it's paying attention for what continues to happen. Right. So, um, suspend your desire after the fact to say, I told you so when things don't go well, right. Like, I don't think that helps anyone to be like, I told you we should have done this differently. This is what happened. But do pay attention to those things so that you have sort of that knowledge, um, that memory of what went well, what didn't go well, what were the ramifications so you can continue to build your case against or for something that you are advocating for. I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, like I have... um, I think sometimes I have like a short, a, a bad like memory, a short memory of things. Like I get really fired up, frustrated in the moment. And then I sort of allow myself to to simmer down a little too quickly after things, um, which I think is is related somewhat to some of what we've talked about of like, um, maybe those things really weren't hills to die on, even if I was saying out loud that they were, right? That, that it was maybe a little bit more, if I'm being completely honest, being a little bit more like performative than um, really being core to who I was. Cause I let myself sort of get past it more quickly than I should have. Um, but I think maybe a note to myself is like in those moments, if they are things that I'm really passionate about to, to keep them at the surface, to keep that urgency there, um, at an appropriate level, um, and to pay attention to what happens so that, so that we can continue to, again, like build that case and not to sort of let things, um, 
peak and then die down and peak and then die down, but to keep sort of a, a, a middle ground there, um, a healthy like level of, of urgency on things. So mm-hmm. how about um a resource to share miles as we wrap up this episode, but also our season, do you have a thought on a resource you'd like to share? Well, there's a cool thing here at, um, at JMU that I thought I would, I thought I would plug the, um, I was fortunate this year to facilitate a a program that we have for all income student incoming students. It's called it's complicated and it's out of an office at JMU called the ethical reasoning office. And, uh, they have this framework for how you make hard decisions and how you sort of engage in complicated, messy stuff called the eight key questions. Um, and I would recommend it for how folks, you know, how folks think through things um, in terms of making hard choices and, and deciding what your your actual values are um, and to not sort of overweight things. There's like a real system and a rhythm to this framework. And um, and I, I'd recommend it for folks. So, yeah, the um, Ethical Reasoning and Action Office here at JMU and their eight key questions. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Um the resource I brainstormed for today and to be, you know, fully transparent with the crowd, um, the crowd, I say that like there's this group of people standing here listening um, to our listeners. I um, just came off of doing a, a workshop literally last night with our students in our certified student leader program here on campus um, talking about values based leadership and values and leadership and how they play out. And a lot of what I talked about is some of um, what I shared this morning about like sort of the things that you stand for and the things that are core values and how we show congruence in those things. And when maybe we are willing to um, bend a little bit on things based on the the people that we're in relationship with in our leadership. And so lots of fun conversations with students about that. We uh, had a great conversation about our institution's core values and sort of how those play out and what congruence and incongruence looks like. And um, but the core of that workshop is teaching um the teaching about values-based leadership from Henry Kramer's work. So um, Henry Kramer wrote a book um, on values-based leadership that I refer to a lot um, called Values to Action. Um, and so I would recommend that as sort of, there's there's four principles. I think they're like pretty straightforward, um, but a good um, base for thinking about how your values play out in the ways that we that we lead and manage and all of that. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. And thanks to everyone for joining us for this season of To Practice, uh, where we focus on institutional politics. Uh, You can get more information about SACSA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, on its various social media outlets, including facebook.com backslash SACSA fan page, on Twitter at SACSA tweets, on Instagram, SACSA grams. And don't forget to sign up for the SACS alert, which is great information and really unobtrusive once a month email that you get with what's going on around around tax. Kate, anything you'd want to add? No, thanks. Um, thanks for listening this season. We're excited about coming to you with something else soon. And um, I know I learned a lot beyond pop culture, but also learned a lot as I think about uh, institutional politics. So um, I hope it was helpful. And thanks for listening with us or listening to us. Hope everyone will put uh, the next season of To Practice on their real list, not Kate's fake list. And uh, we'll talk to y'all soon.